This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the Salesman Podcast, hosted by Will Barron and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Look, if you work in sales, want to learn how to sell, and frankly, who doesn't, check out the Salesman Podcast, where host Will Barron helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. And if you want to start someplace, I recommend the four-step process to influencing buying decisions. Listen to the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Vanessa Van Edwards. She is the lead investigator at Science of People, best-selling author of a book called Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People, translated into 16 languages. More than 50 million people watch her engaging YouTube tutorials and TEDx talk. I'm one of those. She's also the author of a new book called Cues. Master the Secret Language of Charismatic Communication. So, Vanessa, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So, this is a not a visual medium. However, <laughs> I'm going to talk about some visual things. First <laughs> off, if people pick up a copy of Cues or go look online and find a copy of the book Cues, you will see a cover photo of the author <laughs> posed in a very confident and engaging manner. <laughs> and what I want to know is how many shots did it take to get the perfect look you were after? Okay. Thousands. Thousands. <laughs> I'm not joking. So it was, it's so funny you ask about this because, you know, cover is so important. And also I knew this was the book's first impression, right? Like I know that this cover, even the image more than the words are, is the first impression. So what we did is I literally took every photo I've taken in the last five years and sent them all to my publisher, which was thousands of photos. And by the way, they still wanted me to retake this shot. They still <laughs> were like, maybe we could do a slightly different angle. The funny thing is in the image, I'm doing a steeple. So this is one of the 96 cues, a steeple. If you, anyone who's listening wants to try it, you place the tips of your fingers together with your palms face towards each other, kind of like a little church steeple. If you do that pose, if you just try it, you'll actually begin to feel sort of composed, put together, calm, wise. It's a favorite of Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank. It's a favorite of political leaders. I did it as like an afterthought in this photo. There's actually more photos of me not doing the steeple as a way to calm myself down. And who would have known it ended up being on the book cover. So it was sort of an accident, that little steeple cue. <laughs> That's funny. Well, obviously this is a book substantially about body language, I guess. And so the relevant to talk about your body language in that image. Uh, let's just start with what are cues and like, how do they work? Yes. Okay. So cues are the social signals humans send to each other. And what's um, great is actually, I think most people, there are four different channels of cues. So words, the words we use are verbal, syntax. Then there's also body language. So our facial expressions, our posture, our gestures, then there's vocal. So vocal is actually the one of the second biggest section of the book. It's the two longest chapters in the book. So our our pace, our cadence, our tone, our pitch. Um, vocal is, I think, the secret channel, which obviously we should definitely talk about here. And the last one is imagery. So the colors we wear, the ornaments we wear, what's in our Zoom backgrounds, the props we hold in our pictures. So there's those four channels that we are constantly trying to gauge someone's. You did a lot of research for this book. Um, and I'm just curious what you know, human research, you know, on just like looking at how somebody raises their eyebrow. I mean, I'm yeah. curious how yeah. that kind of goes. 
Okay. Well, it's super fun, by the way. So my, my favorite experiment, which will give you a very good taste of what it's like in my lab on a day-to-day basis, is one thing I was curious about was deception cues. So the book is not about lying, but I was curious what happens to people when they're nervous, when they're afraid, when they're guilty, if it's different. So we had people submit videos of themselves lying, specifically playing two truths and a lie. So they had two true statements and one lie and they would mix them up. We'd have to guess. I was wondering, I was just curious if we get these videos and we code them, would we be able to notice differences of the verbal, vocal and nonverbal cues on the lies? And the big, this was the easiest one. As soon as we started coding, my researchers were like, we see it, there's a cue. And it's a, it's a vocal cue. So what we found was on the lie, people typically gave away their guilt by asking it. So they would say their truths in a downward or neutral inflection, but they would ask mm. their lie in the question inflection. So the question inflection, when we go up at the end of our sentence, right. so there, there is, might sound like this. <clears throat> I'm from Los Angeles. I love dogs. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> And that's something funny that when we looked in the research, we found that liars will often ask their lie because they're kind of wondering, do you believe me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so in, in sales, this is so important because one, salespeople often give away all their confidence when they ask their number. So they'll be in a pitch, they're hitting all their points, they're going to close really strong and they get to their number and they ask it. So they'll say, I really want to work with you. We'd love to have your business. And the price is $5,000. <laughs> And when you do that, the brain, they actually studied this. When someone is in a, a brain scanner and you read something in the question inflection, we go from just listening to scrutinizing. Literally mm. where we listen in our brain changes. And so that is a very subtle vocal cue that, John, if you were to introduce me, you know, this is Vanessa. She's going to talk about cues and we're happy to have her. We'll wonder <laughs> Is her name Vanessa? Are you happy to have her? Is she can talk about things just subconsciously. And so a yeah. quick little tip for folks is one, in your introduction, in your voicemail, in the first 10 words, you say them, don't ask them. So make sure in your meetings, you're not saying, you know, hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about the agenda and we'll get started in a few. <laughs> and also when you have hard news, prices, timelines, say it, don't ask it. So it appears to me, I mean, what you're ultimately getting at is that we need to be about intentional about these things because they send signals that we want to send or cues that we want to send. But I'm imagining most people aren't even aware that they do a lot of the things you talk about. So how can we be intentional if we're not aware? Okay. So this is actually, this is where the opportunity is. I think what's incredible is we are interacting in the world all the time, whether that's right. video or chat or Slack or email, or even just having a LinkedIn profile or a website is interacting, right? Even though you're not doing it, it is creating digital first impressions. And there's this huge opportunity in that we are interacting with very little awareness of our cues, yet subconsciously, we are all very aware of them. And so I like to think of it as, you know, there's 96 cues in the book. I think everyone should know. Every single cue you learn is taking control of an aspect of your interactions. So even just taking control of the question inflection, that's taking an aspect of uh, leaking or accidentally giving away your confidence. And so what's really great about this is it's learning a foreign language. And that's when I sat out to write the book, I started, this is a very personal endeavor. You know, I, John, I'm a recovering awkward person. So you say I don't, that all the time, but I don't believe I, it. I am. I have such a hard time processing social information. So mm -hmm. my biggest problem when I first started this journey is I misinterpret cues. Mm -hmm. I have a, a problem where I misinterpret neutral cues as negative, 
So I would leave an event or a meeting and I would be like, they hate me. They hate me. <laughs> Right? Because I would, I was misinterpreting the cues being sent or inevitably I'd be sitting with my husband in the car after a dinner party. And I'd be like, yeah, is she mad at me? He'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, did you see, did you hear that tone of voice? He'd be like, no. So with that, it, that's what was causing my awkwardness. And so for me, I was like, okay, if I misinterpret these cues, what if I created a glossary? Like I learned Spanish, right? I have flashcards for my Spanish words. Could I create a glossary for these cues? And so just like in Spanish, every vocab word I learned in Spanish, the more I could communicate, the better I could communicate. It is the same thing for cues. Every single cue that you learn means you get to speak with it. And the more you use it, the more fluent you become. I think that that's the cool part. All right. So some cues, I mean, some of this is going to be habit breaking, right? Yes. For people to get positive. So <laughs> give me three or four of like at the bottom of the list, you know, like if you're doing these three or four things, you have to work on them now. Okay. Okay. I call these danger zone cues. Okay. So there are sort of a couple of different buckets, but the danger zone cues, the ones you just mentioned, they're like the ones we don't want to spot in others. And they're also the ones we don't want to send to others. Okay. Number one is the contempt microexpression. So the contempt microexpression, I share this one first. If I could have a PSA, a billboard, I probably would put this on my billboard, which is that the contempt microexpression is a one-sided mouth raise. So if you just try it, so kind of like a smirk, a one-sided raise, we think of this as apathy or boredom or half happiness, but actually what research finds is this smirk is a, a form of contempt or scorn specifically it has a, a sense of being better than. And so when you see that contempt, that asymmetry, it literally means someone is disengaging with you. It also shows disengagement for you. I see this all the time in profile pictures. Oh. Mm. LinkedIn pictures, marketing materials on social media. I cannot tell you how many accidental smirks I see and people pick it accidentally. They go, well, I kind of look half happy. You know, I'm not too into it. And I'm not showing you <laughs> so what I would say is get rid of all your smirks and all your assets and all your pictures. I either want you fully happy, full happiness, smile or neutral. Nowhere in between. Okay. So that's one. The, the, have you seen those before? Have you seen a contempt smirk before? Yeah, so, but I have a funny face. Like when I smile, one side <laughs> always goes up higher. So I'm, I'm a little worried now. Okay, no, there's a difference between a dimple <laughs> right, or a lopsided smile and a smirk. So a smirk is like one side of your face is totally dead and the other side of your face is smiling. So I love, John, I love your lopsided smile. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And by the way, I always should be careful whenever I, when I answer, I should have looked at your profile pictures before I came on, but I think that they're yeah, good. They're I'm going to go look now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So that's one that I'm like, Oh, let's stop doing that one. The second one. Um, so there's so many good danger zone cues. The second one I would say is accidental face touching. <laughs> this is a really specific one, but what research has found is that when people touch their face, they, it specifically signals signs of untrustworthy or hmm. fear or anxiety. And that's because when we're trying to hold something back, we'll often cover our mouth. We don't like what we see. We'll often pull at our eyes or cover our eyes or rub at our eyes. It's a, a subconscious kind of blocking cue. It's called blocking. We block our face. So having our face on our chin, contemplative, not bad, but touching our mouth, touching our eyes or nose, plus it's horrible for germs. That was the only positive side of the pandemic is it was it, when they were like, don't touch your face. I was like, yay, don't touch your face. <laughs> so this is the same for like in meetings or when you're trying to show competence, when you're really trying to come across as powerful and you know your stuff, I would try to avoid accidental touches of your face, kind of a really a simple one. 
And now let's hear from our sponsor. Look, if you're tired of slowing down your teams with clunky software, processes, and marketing that is difficult to scale, HubSpot is here to help you and your business grow better. With collaboration tools and built-in SEO optimizations, a HubSpot CRM platform is tailor-made to help you scale your marketing with ease. Integrated calendars, tasks, and commenting help hybrid teams stay connected while automated SEO recommendations intuitively optimize your web page content for increased organic traffic. Ditch the difficult and dial up your marketing with tools that are easy to use and easy to scale. Learn how your business can grow better at HubSpot.com. What about fake cues? So in other mm. words, you know, anytime somebody writes a book about influence, which you could categorize this book as yeah, being about influence. Yeah, you could. Yeah. People use find ways to use it for bad. <laughs> so, you know, are there ways to spot when somebody is just totally faking it, you know, acting interested, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff? This, you just hit on the number one fear I had with this book. So I had created this glossary for myself starting 17 years ago. I started categorizing these cues in positive and negative 17 years ago, and I was using it myself. Like I was literally right. using the glossary just like I was, you know, trying to speak Spanish. I was afraid. So when Captivate came out and it was a success, my editor was like, Hey, like what, you know, let's do your next one. You know, what are you working on that you didn't cover in Captivate? And I, the immediate thought I have was, Oh, my cues folder, right? That was the first thought I had, but I thought, I don't want to share it because it can be used to manipulate. I think mean, there is a very fine line between being purposeful with your cues and being manipulative. Right. And unfortunately, unfortunately these cues work. So like they can be used for negative. Here's the only good thing, which keeps me up at night, which is why I allowed myself to share it is you can fake it till you make it, but eventually it will catch up with you. One, it is exhausting to be inauthentically uh, charismatic. It's exhausting to fake warmth. It's exhausting to fake competence. So it can only last so long. And second is we do pick up on an authenticity. So what, what I mean by this is Dr. Barbara Wilde, in her research, she showed people two pictures. One picture was someone showing a real smile. They were thinking about something that made them happy and they were authentically smiling. And the second picture that someone was thinking about nothing, but they were told to fake smile. So a fake smile is when you just, it's in the bottom half of your face, your face, your teeth show, but it doesn't reach all the way up into your eyes. What she found was when she showed people these two pictures, you couldn't really tell the difference. The naked eye couldn't really distinguish between two smiles, but the real smile, people caught it. They actually felt more positive. They felt better in mood tests after looking at that picture. Hmm. Whereas people who looked at the fake photo caught nothing. So the way that I like to think about this is we can be aware of inauthenticity and that actually just makes that person less memorable. So sure, you could try on a fake cue. I don't want you to, right? I'd rather you come from a genuine place of warmth and competence and charisma, but eventually it will be found out. So I'd rather you work on the core than the True. fake. I had to scratch my face. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, you. of course you can scratch your face. I just don't want you like, you know, covering your mouth for long periods. I didn't even see it. So there you go. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about receiving cues. I'm yeah. guessing... The best way to start becoming aware is to really start tuning into what you see others doing. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there are two sides to cues. There's decoding and encoding. So decoding are the cues that we spot from others. They're us interpreting the social signals that other people are sending us. Encoding are the social signals we send to others. Right. You are absolutely right. It is much easier to start with decoding. In fact, one of the first assignments I kind of give with the 96 cues is see if you can spot all 96 of these cues. Can you spot these in a professional setting, in a reality show? You know, my, my right. husband and I love to sit in a restaurant and play a game called Good, da- Good Date, Bad Date to see if uh, they're going to order dessert, right? It's like one of our favorite things and we see if we can spot the cues. So spotting is actually a great way to begin to train your brain to think about these cues. It's much easier than trying to adopt them yourself. It's also, what's great about this is research is just uncovering that we have specific neural mechanisms for how we spot cues. They've even found there's an area of the brain called the fusiform face area. And this is the area we specifically use for decoding faces. So it's hard to control our facial expressions, right? To try not to show contempt. But the more we develop that part of our brain, spotting contempt on Mm -hmm. others, the more that becomes activated. So that's actually the first thing is, you know, in your next few calls or interactions, do you hear an accidental question inflection? Right. Are you spotting a smirk on someone else's face? Are you seeing lots of blocking, mouth blocking or eye blocking? That's the best way for you to actually become aware of it. It's kind of a a side door into your own cues. Yeah. And I'm sure most of us, you know, come away from an interaction and go, I just don't trust that person. We don't know why. Yeah. Right. We just get that feeling, but they were sending all those cues and we were sort of subconsciously picking them up, weren't we? So our cues, our brain is a cue reading machine, right? They found that we can identify a negative emotion in 30 milliseconds. That's before we even consciously realize we've seen it. So this is what's I think really important is you just said it is I want us to put a name to our gut. I want us to be able to put a name to our intuition so you trust it. The biggest mistake that we make is we'll interact with someone. We go, I don't know about that person. Well, they had good numbers or I like a proposal or, you know, Sure, I'll go on a second date or sure. Yeah, like, you know, they they said all the right things. But if you're like, no, I spotted a shame gesture. I saw distancing behavior. I saw a lip purse. Something's not right. That labeling it is going to give you the information you need to go next. Like a lip purse, for example, is one really important cue. Now, this isn't a danger zone cue by itself. It's a very important cue to know, which is when someone mashes their lips together and presses their lips into a hard line. So mm, 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 presses their lips together. That is a universal sign of withholding or keep it together, or don't say anything. And when we're very nervous or we're trying to not say too much, we'll often engage in that gesture. If you ask a woman, how much do you weigh? She'll go, mm, and she'll push her lips together. Oh, <laughs> there you ask that question. So it's a great cue of, ah, some, something isn't, there isn't a comfort of, or they're holding back. And so that's when you want to say, hey, are we all good? This makes sense. Do you have any questions for me? Yeah or asking more questions. That's so much better than, I just don't know what it is about that guy. Yeah. Right. It's like that labeling gives you a lot of power. You and I are on TV screens, basically, like the rest of the world has been for years, (laughs) a number of years. A lot of my body and thus my body language is not visible now. So Mm -hmm. what has the virtual (laughs) presentation, you know, done to both exhibiting and reading cues. Yeah. So I think I, obviously I was thinking a lot about this in the pandemic and I wrote a lot about it and it was a little bit lucky timing in that I signed for cues in June of 2020. 
So actually, as I was writing the book, I was exceptionally aware of how this was changing and how sure. more of our actors were going virtual. So the very first thing is video specifically messes up our space issues, so our space rules. So humans, when they interact, they know subconsciously how close we should get to someone. If you've ever seen the Jerry Seinfeld episode about the close talker, right? Yeah. If someone's talking in our face, it's horrible, right? We're like, ah, too close. Well, this actually all gets broken on video calls in that we tend to log onto our computer and then we're up in someone's face like hey can you hear me can you see me and it's like the equivalent of being a digital close talker so the very first thing is you want to honor space rules even if you're on camera so yeah. a weird measurement is next time you're at your computer measure the distance between your nose and your camera and it should be at least 18 inches away and that's because that is the equivalent of close talking in person. Yeah. So you want to make sure you're 18 inches or more away. That's the very easy way to not accidentally break space rules. The other issue is we have to work harder to show more of our gestures. So for example, I'm seated up kind of high to make sure that when I use a hand gesture, you can see it because I know that every inch of my body that's giving you signals is going to help you as a listener. It's also going to help me as a speaker. So the more that we can give in the camera, the better. And I've seen you on video. You are a crazy hand gesture. I'm I'm high on the hand gesture spectrum. You know, there's I blame research. You know, I just blame the science because I have, by the way, I've been known to knock over a glass or two with my hand gestures. I blame the research. Dr. Susan Golden Meadow found that gestures, we hear gestures. So even like people who are listening, if I were to sit on my hands for this entire interview, I would be less vocally charismatic, that we actually can hear gesture through our tone. It actually makes us more dynamic. And second, using gesture not only helps the listener, it helps the speaker. So if I were to sit on my hands and try to tell a story, whew, it would be really hard. Like our, our gestures are almost like a way that we express our ideas. And so I think gestures are kind of a, a great way to be more eloquent. If you're thinking about being more eloquent, that's helped with my awkwardness, John. It helps. <laughs> so, so how is charisma sort of the bow on all of this? Mm -hmm. So I used to think that charisma was innate, that you were either born with it or you weren't, that there was no way to cultivate it. And I was very relieved to learn that charisma actually can be a cultivated trait. Yes, there are people who are born charismatic. They're born with great hand gestures right off the womb, but there are also people who can cultivate it. And what researchers found, this is research um, from Dr. Susan Fisk, she found that highly charismatic people rank really high in two traits, warmth and competence. That highly charismatic people are both likable and trustworthy, but also competent and powerful and capable. So when I was thinking about these cues, at first I started out with just positive negative, right? Like for many years, it was just here are the positive cues or the negative cues. Mm. And then I started to notice differences. I started to notice that there were a specific set of cues that highly charismatic people were using in balance that for every warm cue, they send a competent cue as well, that friendly people also could be taken seriously. And that's what yeah. the people we like the most. And so what the bow, as you mentioned, is how can we think about our cues in terms of constantly signaling trust and likability, but also capability and power? All right. My final question. I had years ago had Stephen Covey on the show and mm. he, you know, of course, everybody knows he wrote, wrote the seven habits of highly effective people. He had a follow-up book called the seven habits of highly effective families. And he told me at the time, he wished he hadn't written that book because he now cannot go out in public with his children because, <gasps> because he was being judged. You know? And I'm wondering if you're starting to feel like uh, there's a bit of a cue target on you. 
You know, what's funny is I feel more free actually. Oh. And I know that's crazy, but when a, I quote unquote came out as a recovering opera person in captivate in 2017. And it was, that was extremely freeing because I was able to say, I, I don't have it figured out. The reason I teach this is because I have to manually figure it out. Having cues as a language I can use with people is so helpful. So before I actually felt more subconscious. Now I feel like I can say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm going into high warmth. <laughs> like I've lost my competence and someone will go, Oh, I get you. It's totally fine. Or I can say to someone, you know, I'm not having a great day. I'm, I'm in the danger zone. I apologize. I'm in the danger zone. So in a weird way, I feel like <laughs> I've come clean with the operating system that I have to use to socially survive. And I know that sounds crazy, but I do use it to socially survive. And so the more honest I am with it, the more people can see how much I'm trying. And the only reason I'm doing it is to try to share this knowledge. And so in a way it's been kind of freeing. Awesome. That totally makes sense. So Vanessa, thank you so much for stopping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I know the book is available everywhere. Where would you invite people to, to follow you and find uh, about some of the other yes. things you're up to? Well, I read the Audible, the audiobook. So if you like uh -huh. uh, my vocal cues, you're welcome to go check it out. It's also available anywhere books are sold. And of course, you also can go to scienceofpeople.com. We have a bunch of tutorials and my YouTube channel, I give cue breakdowns. So if you're curious about cues in action, I do the cues breakdown of The Rock and uh, Britney Spears and all kinds of interesting people. So I would love to hear from you. And John, thank you for being such a good friend all these years. And of course, for having me on today. Okay, now I have a bonus question. Oh, yeah. Great. <laughs> Since what we talked it? at the very beginning about photos, I've noticed you've been using a photo recently where it appears that both your hands are like pushing your hair back or something, and it appears everywhere, it's that one. So it's I'm yeah. guessing that's an intentional cue. That is intentional, yes. So so I mentioned that you know if you hold your hand on your face, right, that's okay. You don't want to block your mouth, your nose, right. your eyes. So showing your hands in a picture is very high warmth. It's also it makes us feel like we can understand intention. So I found, this was actually just research-based, that when I had a picture of me just smiling and looking at the camera, it was not as engaging. Like people did not feel connected to me. The moment I put my hands in the shot, people feel like almost they can reach out and touch me, which is, I actually kind of want that a little bit. Like my people want to like bond very quickly. So I have found that people feel more connected to me when I show my hands in my picture. It's so funny. I, for my last book, did a whole, you know, photo shoot like every, us authors do. And, you know, the photographer was like, you know, do this or some goofy pose. Like <laughs> and, that. Yeah. and, and, you know, I was like, no, I hate that pose, but you know, I did it because they were taking pictures a hundred miles an hour anyway, but one of them actually came out really well and I've been using it and I get positive feedback on that, that image, yes. even though I was uncomfortable doing it. Okay. Okay. So that is, yes, there is something about having hands. And by the way, anecdotally, I have found that in my thumbnails on YouTube, so we have, you know, a big YouTube channel. When I use a specific hand gesture, not just visible hands, so not just like having my hands up right. when I'm like pointing or I have the number three up or I am doing a little thumb pinch, we get more clicks on the video when hmm. I have a thumbnail on my video that shows a specific hand gesture, which is like, I think what it's showing is like, oh, she, A, I can trust her. I can see her hand, but also yeah. like, oh, she must be saying something really specific and I want to hear it. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. if you're taking a profile picture, a little bonus, try one with your hands, not covering a face, but like resting right. and also make sure that your neck looks long. 
I know that's a very weird cue, but don't <laughs> hunch up your shoulders and hunch over. So make sure that you're not, your ears aren't too close to your shoulders. Make sure your neck looks nice and long. <laughs> awesome. I, I guess we, you're just going to have to go get the book. Um, if go you want to get to the whole list of all of these yeah. keys, Vanessa, so great to catch up with you. And, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, run into you one of these days soon out there in Austin, or you, you come up to the mountain someday. Would love it. I'll take you out to a taco when you come. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. So that wraps up another episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and you know, we love those reviews and comments and just generally tell me what you think. Also, did you know that you could offer the duct tape marketing system, our system to your clients and build a complete marketing, consulting, coaching business, or maybe level up an agency with some additional services? That's right. Check out the duct tape marketing consultant network. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that offer our system to your clients tab.